people struggling, people dying. Every day's another headline. While people cheating, people lying, leaving everybody else behind. We can wait for somebody else to come along. We can get on our feet and shout it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. This is Anders, and this week I am joined again by my co-host, Will. How are you doing this morning, Will? What up, party people? I'm uh, I'm having a good <laughs> having a good Thursday morning. Elections are in what one, two, three, four, five, five days. So that's uh, that's either the end of democracy or the end of our busy season, and we can finally get a full night's sleep. Yeah, I um as much as I love horse race politics, there's almost um anything I would rather talk about today than the 2022 midterms um and the Wisconsin governor and Senate race. I feel like I've talked about it so many times and this race has been going for already like 2 years basically. Um so can't wait to to get this out of my news timeline and stop listening to non-stop ads about the candidates. Um, so the first story I wanted to talk about today, um, doesn't directly relate to Wisconsin, um, but it definitely indirectly relates to Wisconsin. Um, and that is news out of Minnesota. Um, their attorney general, uh, Keith Ellison, who is a pretty, you know, left wing attorney general as they come has charged Enbridge, um, for, puncturing an underground aquifer and causing uncontrolled flows of groundwater. Um, now, this isn't... Th- th- this one charge in and of itself doesn't have massive consequences because this one breach um, can be dismissed after one year of Enbridge being completely law-abiding and paying a $1,000 fine. But I think the fact that this is just coming out now um, after construction finished just about a year ago shows that there's a potential for, I think, a lot more of this stuff to be reported because puncturing aquifers underground isn't necessarily something that that bubbles up to the surface um, immediately during construction. And I think that, as we said, the entire time this pipeline was being constructed, there are a lot of there's a lot of immediate damage that can be done just by building the pipeline that won't even be seen for the first few years of its operation. Um, uh, Ellison called it an important step forward in holding Enbridge accountable for the damage it caused to Minnesota's water and environment uh, and for restoring that damage. Uh, Winona LaDuke was quoted as saying, the state agencies that took action today consistently failed Minnesota's natural resources and indigenous treaty rights and lands by allowing this dangerous project, which continues to exacerbate the climate crisis. Remember that the aquifer is still hemorrhaging water and the level of contamination is increasing every day. I also ultimately wonder why I went to jail for my actions and Enbridge did not. 
Um, well, that's an obvious answer. It's because Enbridge is a multi-billion dollar <laughs> corporation and the United States is three corporations in a trench coat. Yes, exactly. But, um, Will, this kind of brings up the issue that, as you know, um, Enbridge, the same Canadian corporation, is expanding um, its Line 5 pipeline and replacing it, um, planning on replacing it in Wisconsin because it is super outdated, um, has been prone to leaks, particularly um on the homeland of the of the bad river nation up um in the ashland area of wisconsin but essentially minnesota is already paying the price for letting this project go through will what do you think the the impacts of of some cases like this are on on wisconsin and line uh line five well it's it's kind of funny when I, I hear a lot from Wisconsin residents in uh, when we're discussing, you know, cannabis legalization, for example, oh, I don't want to become like Minnesota or Illinois. Those liberal hellholes are are grotesque wastelands. And if, if we legalize cannabis, Wisconsin is going to become that, too. Then you have examples like this where Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, northern Wisconsin in particular, this is some of the most beautiful landscape we have in this in the entire country, let alone uh, the state and it's frankly shameful that the natural resources that the state has has being basically co-opted by these multi-billion dollar corporations for whatever you know small marginal profit gain they have and we're going to look back on this in 20 25 30 years when the water wars start and be like huh I wish we had protected our uh, our natural groundwater because that's a pretty valuable asset that every single human being really, really needs right about now. Well, and that's essentially what this is, too, I think. And what people don't understand is right now we fight wars over oil. That's why we went to Iraq. That's why we're in the Middle East still. Um, and what this pipeline shows is that right now we see oil as more valuable to our livelihoods than we see water. But as you pointed out, as the climate crisis worsens, I think that will very quickly flip when a lot of the world loses access to clean drinking water that has been, you know, countries like America that are very comfortable are going to start to have more and more drought and clean water issues. Then that's going to flip and we're going to have this crisis and wars fought over clean water. Um, it's going to be real funny looking back then at how we valued oil so much more than the water that we literally need to keep our society functioning. On uh, according to the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, uh, the there were multiple water quality violations during Line Three construction outside of that aquifer breach, including accidental releases of drilling mud at more than a dozen locations and two other aquifer breaches at LaSalle Creek in Hubbard County, uh, as well as near the Fond du Lac Reservation. These charges also included discharges of stormwater from construction sites, uh, which, as you know, can contain sediment that smothers plants, clouds the water, and invades the surrounding wetlands. So it's not just a one-off, oh, you know, oops, sorry, we punctured the aquifer a little bit. I'm imagining the South Park <laughs> episode where uh, the BP CEO is doing all those like weirdly seductive apologies. Like that's Enbridge, <laughs> except the United States government is more than willing to accept it. They're just like, oh, that's okay, Enbridge. Just pay us uh, a couple million dollars in penalties. We'll erase, we'll erase any damage that you caused to the environment, despite the billions in, in, in profits you're going to make off of this pipeline. And I remember that drilling fluid situation because that was just about 
I think that was almost a year and a half ago now because not like it was it was a leak of drilling fluid into a river and drilling fluid is basically toxic wastewater and shit that they've picked up during their digging um is reused in that water so they don't have to use clean water for you know um their their um drilling but that basically means that they just let toxic wastewater just like spill into literally just like clean rivers for days um so uh wisconsin take note if you enjoy you know being able to turn on your tap and getting uh, a fresh cup of water uh maybe it's about time that we bring this issue to statewide politics and i guess my last note as a segue to what you want to talk about will is um i just want to point out OWR endorsed Kelly Westland is really the only Democrat in the entire state talking about line five. It hasn't really been mentioned by, by governor Evers. When I asked him about it at the convention, he was kind of like, well, there's really nothing I can do. Um, Mandela Barnes hasn't made pipelines an issue on his campaign and really got to get a, give a 10 out of 10 to, to Kelly is, I mean, you know, go back and listen to that podcast. If you haven't, she's clearly so well read on this issue um, and has a strong understanding and would be a great representative at the Capitol to hold Enbridge accountable as as this Line 5 project comes up. But, you know, pipelines, pipelines and oil companies rule the world. So what can we really do? Find them 2% of the profits that they make from the pipeline, slap them on the wrist and tell them, hey, you've been a, you've been a bad <laughs> Enbridge. Stop it. Pretty much. Naughty Enbridge. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, what do you got about? I know there was new Marquette you uh, law poll, and God forbid we didn't talk about a new poll in Wisconsin. So we have to. We yeah, it's our job, unfortunately. So the final MU law poll of the 2022 midterms was released. Please don't yesterday. go MU. Please stay. Please keep releasing and, polls uh, all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm just happy that election season's finally going to be over. I, I know I am not alone when I say that the just sheer number of television ads, texts, emails, it, it's just, it's incredible how much of an industry really elections have become. And the funny thing is, with how bad this cycle has been, it's nothing compared to what 2024 will be once a president's on the ballot again. So get used to it now, Americans. It's only going to get worse from here. Uh, so for the, la- the last MU law poll on the race for governor in Wisconsin, which is, in fact, the most expensive gubernatorial in the entire country, Michaels 48, Evers 48. Evers was plus one in the last October poll. Ron oh, Johnson. What a nail-biter, 50. man. Uh, dude, it's, it's like Wisconsin watching, politics. It's like watching the Vikings. It's always going to come down to the wire. That's what happens in a 50-50 state, despite the fact that we have, what, like a 66-33 legislative split. Um, and then Ron Johnson, 50. Mandela Barnes, 48. Uh, noting that Ron Johnson was plus six in the October poll, and his lead has now shrunk to plus two. Um, one little caveat is that Johnson does still lead with independence at plus seven. Um, Barnes made improvements with Democrats in this poll. 
I don't understand what the allure of Ronald Johnson is, but that is, I guess, why we do what we do. So <laughs> it's coming up five days. Make sure you get out and vote. Our vote is our voice and everybody deserves to be heard. Yeah, I mean, I I think this is, I mean, I don't even know what to say about these MU law polls anymore. I mean, really, when we talk about issues, as we've said every time, the issue that's more most important to, to, to the vast majority of people in the state is inflation and how expensive it is to live right now with the horrible crap wages that we are paid. Um, and, I, you know, it's interesting in this poll that I that that Michaels has finally caught up to Tony Evers because Evers has been comfortable, uh, I, you know, comfortably is maybe a strong word, but outperforming Mandela Barnes by a lot um, so far throughout this campaign. And, you know, the last poll, of course, has to tighten both races and shows the governor's race at a tie and, and Mandela down by two. I guess this is this is good news for Mandela in that he's not losing by nearly 10 points anymore. But I I think with the way that polls have it know, skews older shown, it it skews it skews towards Republicans and their real results. So you can you can kind of slap a plus five or six onto every poll in the Republican column just by the way that Senate races have gone over the past two to four cycles. So I think that um you know that's that's certainly not enough. And Mandela Barnes really needs to be worried right now. And, you know, Governor Evers was was looking pretty safe for a while, but I think he needs to really look at what has happened if if, you know, his polls, if his internal polling shows his race tightening, that really needs to be concerning. Because honestly, for a Democrat to feel comfortable in Wisconsin, they need to be at least up five to six points. Um, Keep in mind as well, though, a Republican has not won a statewide election since Ron Johnson in 2016. So Democrats and that, and that was the year of Donald Trump, too. And that was Donald Trump on the ballot. Correct. So Democrats have improved on statewide races. Um, but, you know, polling exists for a reason. Right. Nobody's saying it's 100 percent accurate. Nobody's saying it's 100 percent false. It's designed to give you a general overview of what certain demographics are more likely to do. Uh, now, this MU law poll also listed the top issues for Wisconsin voters um, done by percentage who say they are very concerned. Number one, obviously, was inflation, 68%. Um, that has been consistent in most polls that the vast majority of people uh, are concerned more so about inflation than anything else, particularly Republicans, obviously, because that's all they see on their uh media ecosystem yeah. <laughs> um, uh, public schools was second at 62 percent crime third at 57 percent gun violence fourth 56 percent accurate vote count 56 percent so technically tied uh, abortion policy was sixth at 52 percent and down at ninth was the coronavirus at 16 percent these numbers uh, obviously were vastly different among republicans independents and democrats um, Democrats, the most important issue was abortion policy, followed by gun violence in public schools. And for Republicans, it was inflation first, accurate vote count second, ugh, and yeah. crime third. Uh, all you got to do is take, you know, take five minutes to watch Fox News one night and you will likely see why. 
that is the world they live in. Though, as organizers, you know, we've been doing door knocking, we've been doing phone banking and text banking and stuff. And I can see the difference when just talking to people's face. There, there have been so many people I've spoken with recently who, like, I 100% am not lying when I say this. I'm so terrified of the rising crime that I don't even leave my house and blah, 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 blah. Oh, you don't feel safe here in blank suburban community? Well, no, I feel safe here. I just don't feel safe there. Well, what do you mean by there? <laughs> we don't know what you mean by there, right? Yeah. Um, the, and, and, and that just shows that Ron Johnson's ads really work. They've been working, yeah, 100%. And it, it, it goes even further than that in terms of like funding for police, for example. Um, you know, they'll say we need to be giving more money to police to keep to keep all of us safe. And I was like, oh, you know, in your community, there happens to be a referendum uh, for increasing your uh, contributions of your tax dollars that will go directly to the county sheriff. Are you in support of that? Oh, no, no, no. no. I don't want my taxes to go up to pay for police. I, but I think those people's taxes should go up for police. OK, again, what do you mean by those people? We all know what they mean by those people. They just don't want to say it. Right now, there was one one voter has has kind of stuck in my mind because it was such an interesting conversation. In that she quite literally said, "No, I'm afraid to leave my house. I don't go outside after 6 p.m." What's now, that? this was in a upper middle class white suburban community right. where crime is not an issue in any way, shape, or form. But at least she was consistent with the fact that you know she thought crime was was so so scary right now that she can't even be outside and she wasn't willing to deflect immediately to the uh you know racist tropes of oh the city the city is so dangerous and they're coming yeah. to get me and all that kind of stuff so i don't know i don't know man we're in a, we're in a lot of trouble and i don't just mean that in terms of the 2022 midterms i mean that in terms of like americans mentality a lot of voters yeah. are just like lost i think yeah, well, we've clearly lost root from elections being focused on the issues of wages, unions, healthcare, um, And I think inflation, I think Americans concern, I mean, inflation's number one. And you know what the root cause of people's, you know, issue with inflation is? It's more expensive to be alive right now. You know what could help with that? Raising people's wages and making it easier for people to unionize to protect. I thought you were going to say raise the federal interest work. rate because workers have too much power and they're making too much <laughs> money, according to Jerome Powell. Well, you know, I can't help myself. <laughs> um, but I think that genuinely, like, it is an issue of, you know, people are being brainwashed into thinking that they deserve, you know, these shit wages, but those should somehow be able to sustain them um and make them able to to survive um when that's just not the case and i think like the 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 fact that the issue that republicans are most concerned about is inflation should be like a giant sign that like hey we have an opportunity here being that we're the ones that have been talking about wages and our inability to you know pay workers adequately forever like we we have been saying that this is a problem and that people don't have the purchasing power that they need to to adequately sustain themselves. So I, I don't know, man, it's um it's frustrating. I feel like both sides of this of this election are tone deaf and I just can't wait to to be done. 
to be done. And hopefully um, when we come down next Tuesday, um, you know, all hell will have not broken loose. We don't have some sort of veto proof majority uh, in the state. Honestly, I think in my opinion, that's the most important thing to watch on Tuesday is making sure that the state assembly and legislatures um, don't allow the Republicans a veto proof majority. I think is arguably the number one most important thing about the 2022 elections. Yeah, the, I mean, um, the governor's race doesn't matter if they secure exactly. that supermajority. So, and and I, I that's what I would that's why I would argue that um, th- th- those ra- those are the most important races um, next Tuesday. It's not Evers, it's not Mandela. It's genuinely getting out and voting for you know your grassroots candidates like Jessica Katzenmeyer, Kelly Westland, um, Don Vruink, not to not to plug all of them, Doug LaFollette. Uh, all no, of those and it's guys. close. They need one Senate seat, I believe, and three or four assembly seats. And so get get out and vote, and yeah, for for your um, local assembly and Senate candidates, because genuinely, it's it's real tight, and people like, in all seriousness, as much as we you know make fun of Ron Johnson being just an absolute moron, and we make fun of Tim Michaels being an absolute moron, like. None of that matters if the Republicans sneak these few extra seats they need. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, a lot of doom and gloom, but we are very excited to welcome on our guest Matthew Rothschild, who is uh, works with the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign on keeping track of money moving in and out of politics. So we'll be able to talk to him a lot about the money being spent in these races we've been talking about. And we'll be right back with Matthew on the podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. Will and I are now joined by Matt Rothschild from the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. Matt, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, great to talk to you. Do you just want to uh, start by giving our listeners a little bit of a background about who you are, you know, why, why you're so involved in Wisconsin politics and uh, a little bit of your background? Sure. I'm the executive director at the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, which has been around since about 1995. We track and expose uh, the money in politics and we advocate for a broad range of pro-democracy reforms. Uh, And before coming to the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, I was the uh, editor and publisher of the Progressive Magazine for the better part of three decades. And before that, I worked for Ralph Nader. So I've been involved in progressive politics my whole adult life. That's that's awesome. As a big Ralph Nader fan, that's great to hear. Um, <laughs> the first question, the first thing I wanted to talk about today was um, the spending in the Wisconsin governor's race. And Crazy. the Wisconsin Examiner uh, did a piece, oh, I guess it was about a month ago now, about how um, the Wisconsin governor's race is like far and away the most expensive race in the country. Obviously, you have like the Trump-endorsed 
um, corporate right wing on one side of this. And then you have like the, the liberal kind of Democratic Party super PAC money on the other side of this, um, creating this whole whirlwind where, you know, it all it, it feels a lot like with this race um, that it's not as much about people's interests and like issues that we all care about anymore as much as it is like being the candidate with the most ads um and and getting your voice kind of getting their voice above the fray the most kind of just by bombarding voters um with the most information so you know what what do you think what do you think the implications on the outcome of this election are with the fact that so much money has been spent well, the money is really obscene. You're absolutely right about that, Anders. Uh, I mean, it's been it's it just broke a record. We just posted something about, a, uh, you know, a record fund, uh, fundraising in Wisconsin's elections for governor. It just surpassed one hundred million dollars. If you can believe that. What an obscene amount. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, Michaels himself has uh donated three quarters of the amount of money that he's raised so it's uh you know it's nice if you can just dip into your own bank account and self-finance but who among your listeners can do that i mean it's very anti-democratic to allow a super rich person to self-finance uh and then there have been right-wing groups that have been pouring money in against evers especially the Re- republican governors association and then the Koch brothers group americans for prosperity has thrown in more than five million dollars too uh, uh, Evers is getting a lot from the uh, Democrat Governors Association, from the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, uh, and some, and from some big donors. And some of those big donors aren't even in Wisconsin. And, and I think that's a problem, too. I mean, why should some super rich people out in California uh, try to tell us who should be our governor here in Wisconsin? So we need fundamental campaign finance reform uh, here in Wisconsin and across the country. There is this movement across the country to overturn Citizens United into which was that horrible Supreme Court decision back in 2010 that said corporations and the super rich can spend unlimited amounts of money to tell you who to vote for, who not to vote for. Uh, and that was one of a series of horrible Supreme Court decisions dating back to the 19th century. And all of those have got to be overturned. So we need an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that says once and for all, you know what, corporations aren't persons and money isn't speech. And we can regulate all these hideous ads that are splattering our screens with mud uh, during election time. And and I know I'm sick of them, and I'm sure every listener to this podcast is sick of them. And that's only touching on the television ads, right? That's uh, You consider the 20, 30, 40 text messages you're going to get per day. Any streaming site that you have is going to be littered with the ads nonstop. I mean, there was a time I cut cable, so I can't even speak to uh, to the television ads. But you're getting a haircut, you're uh, you know you're at a restaurant or whatever. Legitimately, every other commercial, it's a back and forth between Evers, Barnes, Johnson, Michaels, and then maybe McDonald's or somebody throws one in the middle to keep you honest. I yeah, never found I mean, myself looking forward to that, but yeah, I mean, Will, you're absolutely right. We're just being bombarded right now. You cannot literally cannot open a screen. I can't turn my cell phone on. I can't, you know, turn my computer on. I can't turn my TV on or my radio on without without getting hit with with these ads. And, and it's just too much. I mean, the law of the land uh, back at a 1935 or 1934 Telecommunications Act said that radio stations and TV stations had to run the ads from the candidates themselves, but they don't have to run these outside ads. Uh, and 
Yeah, it's just it's gotten to be who can run the ugliest ads. And of course, here in Wisconsin, we saw really ugly racist ads against Mandela Barnes uh, run by Ron Johnson and those Republican groups supporting Ron Johnson. And some of those groups are funded by uh, some of the richest people in Wisconsin, including Diane Hendricks of ABC Supply uh, and Richard Eline of Lake Forest, Illinois, who has a business in Wisconsin, uh, and they uh, they have spent uh, oh I think more than five million dollars, way more. Let me just see if I can figure this out here. Uh, twenty six million dollars. They spent twenty six million dollars against Mandela Barnes, and you know Diane Hendricks and Richard Eline benefited to the tune of more than two hundred million dollars by that tax break from Ron Johnson. So yeah. this is kind of a gratuity they're giving Ron Johnson here for giving them this huge tax break. Yeah, it's an investment for them, essentially. They're not donating to his campaign. They're rewarding him back for the massive tax cuts he provided. Yeah, it's just, it's grotesque corruption. And, and we shouldn't be able to tolerate that here where people are giving money to candidates and then the candidates are lining their pockets and their bank accounts with outrageous hundreds of millions of dollars. So. Uh, that's how corrupt our campaign finance system here is uh, across the country. And in Wisconsin, it got worse in 2015 when Scott Walker and the Republican legislature rewrote our campaign finance laws. Uh, there used to be a $10,000 limit on what any single individual could give to a political party. Now there's no limit whatsoever. Uh, and there's no limit on what people can give, you know, outside spending groups, uh, especially the dark money groups. So it's it's really wide open and there's no way to max out you know rich people in wisconsin prior to 2015 used to have an expression when a candidate or a party would come knocking on their door they would say sometimes without real integrity that sorry i'd love to help you but guess what i've maxed out well there's no way you can max out if you're a super rich people who likes to play in the political playground yeah i mean so wisconsin i feel like right now at least like working in wisconsin politics it's really hard to see like this clear map to how we get to free elections because there are so many layers that have been built on kind of since you know a few of these court decisions like citizens united but also like the walk uh the scott walker administration kind of totally picking apart like so many fair parts of governance in the state like uh, with all these layers of like gerrymandering and the contribution rules and you know the two-party system how do you think we get in wisconsin from where we are now to kind of starting to help unravel this kind of really unlevel playing field we've been given because i mean the maps just got redrawn right and you know um right now it kind of feels like we're locked into this situation where we're just defending a veto-proof majority for for the next you know while here because of what the maps look like um what do you think the steps some of the steps are or like you know work that wisconsin democracy campaign has done um to kind of start to unravel those layers um of of corruption very good question. Well, the first thing to do, uh, the first ray of light after this election is the election coming up in April for a vacant seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Rogensack is retiring. She's one of the arch conservatives on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Remember, there are seven seats, four now being held by conservatives. 
she's a conservative. She's getting off. So then it's 3-3. And whoever wins in April will determine the ideological balance of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. If a progressive wins that election, uh, it's very conceivable that a lawsuit will be brought back to the Wisconsin Supreme Court quickly uh, on these gerrymandered maps, that the maps themselves violate the Wisconsin state constitution because the will of the people is not being honored. And uh, the will of the people is not the law of the land, and we don't have fair representation. So I, that would be a very interesting case to bring to the Wisconsin Supreme Court if there is a majority of justices who have an open mind on that question. And so I see that race being very important. And then we just uh, need to keep doing the grassroots uh, work that we've all been doing, trying to educate our fellow citizens here in Wisconsin and across the country about the changes we need to uh, improve our daily lives and protect our our freedoms. And we need to uh, you know, recapture the word freedom from the far right. I mean, how free are you if you're a woman and you're, you have to give birth to your 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 rapist's uh, baby and how free are you if uh, you're an elderly person who just got his or her social security cut by ron johnson i mean you're not free in your daily life uh, or your choice limits have been severely constrained and so we need to make these arguments we need to get out the progressive base for sure uh and, but we also here in wisconsin you know we need to try to talk to some people who aren't voting the way we'd like or aren't seeing the world the way we'd like, but are, are uh, susceptible to some kind of conversation. People we know in our daily lives. Uh, I'm not talking about knocking on the door of someone who's flying a Confederate flag. And I see Confederate flags disgustingly flown here in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm not talking about, you know, talking to the neighbor who's got a Brandon flag. And I've got a neighbor who's got a Brandon flag flying. But I, I mean, talking to people we might know in, you know, social circles, exercise, uh, book club, uh, card playing, whatever it is, sports, uh who, you know, we've known for a long time, we have a relationship with and we need to try to bring some some of these people around because what we're facing here in Wisconsin and across the country is nothing short of a full-blown anti-democracy movement. You can call it an authoritarian movement. You can call it a neo-fascist movement. It's a movement that's very hostile to democracy. Uh, and actually, I've been talking to pollsters who say, if you just say fight to defend our democracy, that's not as persuasive to people as saying, you know, fight to defend uh, something very specific in their lives, like Social Security or the freedom to determine your reproductive health care or, uh, you know, the ability to have a job or organize a union uh, or to get food on the table. But still... Uh, as the executive director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, I want to be stressing how important it is to defend our democracy, too, uh, and stress to people, if you don't have a democracy, you're not going to be able to do what you want. I and mean, people don't understand what this anti-democracy movement would look like if it totally took power, because we've seen what anti-democracy movements do across the world, you know, Pinochet came to power in Chile, uh, overthrew a democratically elected government, and Chile had had a democracy for 100 years. They lost it in a day. You know, the Proud Boys wear T-shirts that say Pinochet did nothing wrong. Can you believe that? Pinochet did nothing wrong, they say, even though Pinochet not only overthrew a democratically elected government, his forces killed thousands of people, throwing some of them out of planes into the ocean, and tortured tens of thousands more. I mean, are we going to really see that here in the United States? But that's what happens when you overthrow a democratically elected government. And so I think people need to understand 
uh, what we're up against. I think that's an, uh, a very interesting comparison, especially with uh, the pointing out the relationship with wearing the Pinochet shirts. Is I think a lot of people, when the anti-democracy movement were to come to power, genuinely believe, oh, well, it won't impact me, or better yet, they're going to hurt the right people. There's that famous quote from, uh, I believe it was The Daily Show, maybe. Somebody on Comedy Central, I want to say, was at a Trump rally, and uh, some elderly woman quite literally said she liked Donald Trump because he's hurting the right people. There's a large subset of Americans in particular that genuinely believe that, whether it's by birthright or by the way they've been conditioned socioeconomically, that they are superior to another subset of Americans. And if this kind of movement takes power, I am protected because I'm white, I'm middle class, I'm a man, whatever their their preconceived notions of how society should be run is, is met. And if if we reach that point, you know, I don't know how we can connect with those type of people. Like you said, you have to be able to reach out to like-minded individuals or people who at least respect the concept of democracy. I fear there might not be as many people that think that way as, as, as we'd like to believe. Yeah. I mean, it's very worrisome because what does this uh, anti-democracy movement consist of? Let's take a look at it real quick. The Trump cult, of course, uh, the white nationalists, and there's a lot of overlap there. Uh, these white nationalists, you know, the Proud Boys also wear a, a shirt that uh, has the initials that stand for six million wasn't enough, uh, signifying that Adolf Hitler should have killed more than six million Jews during the Holocaust. So the racism and anti-Semitism, again, you know, the, the sadism against people who aren't like them uh, mm-hmm. is what you were talking about, Will. And I think that is uh, we're seeing that we saw that with. You know, Pelosi's husband and folks on the right, including Trump's son, making fun of of, of Pelosi's husband being hit on the head with a hammer. Uh, It's really disgraceful and so disturbing that that uh, how far down the hill of decency we have fallen here uh, in our country. Uh, Then there's also part of the anti-democracy movement is this grotesque level of irrationalism that we see uh, in the country. It's hard to have a functioning democracy with the level of irrationalism we have. Irrationalism over the elections that brought Biden to power, irrationalism over climate change, irrationalism over COVID, and then the crazy irrationalism writ large in QAnon, of course. And then there's, you know, the Republican Party leadership that called January 6th legitimate political discourse. And they've thrown in with the Trumpites and the anti-democracy movement. Some of them uh, aren't true believers. Mitch McConnell's not a true believer. I don't think Ted Cruz even is a true believer or Lindsey Graham's a true believer. Maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene's a true believer, uh, but uh, either because they've uh, eaten that propaganda and consumed it and excreted it or because they're just uh, opportunists like Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, they've let this thing uh, get way out of whack uh, and then there's the right wing media infrastructure that feeds these folks like on a 24 seven IV drip, all this ridiculous propaganda. And that's that's why we've gotten into this fix that we're in right now. That and the, and the problem that in late capitalism, capitalism isn't delivering the goods for people. And, and so people are looking for easy answers. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to this idea of having conversations with with groups that we see as you know, potentially aligned with us, but maybe 
um, don't vote with us because of of the way that issues are pitched. I think that like this this conversation around these elections in Wisconsin this year has been really interesting because I think the amount of money that has been spent in determining these races has also kind of warped candidate sense of what people are actually looking for. I like, I think that, um, you know, one mistake or, you know, we talked to Dan Schaefer and he, he, you know, kind of referred to it as points on the board that, you know, um, he kind of saw in the Barnes campaign is governor Evers was really successful at, at attacking Tim Michaels, um, as being a radical on abortion, but Mandela really didn't touch the abortion issue in any of his like ads um, or play hardcore into that until about a month ago. Um, or, you know, the fact that we haven't talked about unions, we haven't talked about wages, we haven't talked about health care, we haven't talked about any of these things that people, um, you know, we, we on the on the Democratic side, at least we barely talked about inflation, which um polling over and over and over has shown is you know over two-thirds of wisconsin i'd see is the most important issue in politics so um i guess the question there is how do you think like all of this money flowing into these big statewide races is affecting the conversation because i i absolutely think that the policies that these candidates are pushing in their advertisement will have a great effect on turnout and whether or not people decide to vote so do you think do you think money has had an effect on that or has kind of changed shifted this conversation in one direction or another? Sure, especially the money against Mandela Barnes that he was hit with uh, like an avalanche right out of the gate there. Uh, all this money painting him to be the you know, scariest black man in Wisconsin, uh, the racist ads on front one ad after another, just disgraceful. Uh, and you know, it, it's a pathetic indictment of where we are in this country and in this state that um, that that those work for one thing. And, and I feel uh, bad for Mandela Barnes that uh, he felt and his advisors felt that, you know, the best way to respond to this is just to make him out to be the the sweetest, nicest, most inoffensive black man in Wisconsin by saying I'm delivering pizzas to kids in a classroom. That was one ad I saw, or I'm making a peanut butter or jelly sandwich, or here I am in the grocery uh, store uh, buying a, a gallon of milk. Uh, they weren't substantive ads. I know they tried to define him in a positive, a kind of glowing light for people who didn't know him, but, um, and maybe you need to do that when people, so many people are racist. But I, I wanted, like you did, a, a more aggressive Mandela Barnes at the beginning. We've we've gotten a more aggressive Mandela Barnes here at the end, and and it's working. I mean, uh, he was great in the debates. He beat the living crap out of Ron Johnson. I thought in both debates. Where uh, where was that killer instinct at the start of the campaign? I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, they were just. I, I think they got some bad advice by some national consultants who said, "Look, you've got to define him." Uh, in the least offensive way possible. Uh, and, and so they neither blunted uh, head on the, the crime ads, nor did they uh, take the fight to, to Ron Johnson right away. But he's really taking the fight to Ron Johnson now. It's working very well. And uh, he was helped by Obama in Milwaukee, who gave a really strong indictment of Ron Johnson, especially that speech um, was fantastic. Fantastic speech. And the little one minute clip on 
Ron Johnson shouldn't be your senator because he's going to take your Social Security away and he'd rather give tax breaks to people buying new planes than to Brilliant. defend the Social Security Brilliant. program. Was, uh, some it went viral multiple times over, which is using the right-wing media uh, ecosystem kind of against them, right? The, the right-wing is so, so good. Ted Cruz in particular, every single time he does or says anything on the Senate floor – he is just saying something that sounds really, really good in a 15 to 20 second clip so that Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity can take that clip, play it on their show that night, have him on to talk about it after the fact and move on from there. And these sound bites, like it sounds ridiculous, but the American attention span is frankly pathetic. <laughs> and we have the memories of goldfish. So if you can use these kind of 15, 20, maybe a minute max sound bites to hammer home some of these points, they can be incredibly, incredibly influential. And uh, the Obama speech did a really good job about that, uh, of doing that. I think one thing you touched on too, Matt, that's so important is, you know, we can sit here and bash Johnson for the racist ads as we have, and we'll continue to do. But the fact is, is they work. Polling showed that they were incredibly, incredibly efficient uh, I believe Mandela went from like plus two to minus five in like a two week stretch after these ads started blasting, which I think reflects more negatively on the people of Wisconsin than it does on the Johnson campaign, because his job is to win an election. Um, so as a state, I'm kind of dis disappointed would be a, a, an understatement. I understand as someone who works in politics that Wisconsin has a long way to go which is really sad because, as you mentioned in your book, uh, 12 Ways to Save Democracy, you know, the Robert LaFollette days, our, our state motto of forward, we were once a kind of the bastion of progressivism in, in the nation. Wisconsin has a very rich history of, of being a forward-thinking state. But some of our more rural areas and some of these, um, the Milwaukee suburbs in particular, that have been blasted with these anti-crime ads and, and, and the Ron Johnson, you know, oh, get rid of the woke minorities that are ruining everything type type mindset has has really poisoned a lot of the american voters mentality and it's such a such a sad thing to see from what was once such a great state sure is you know i came here 40 years ago i grew up in the suburbs of illinois and then went to college on the east coast and i came to wisconsin after working for ralph nader because I, uh, I wanted to work the progressive magazine in madison i wanted to work in wisconsin which had a great progressive tradition was still a, a progressive state 40 years ago but certainly uh, as soon as walker uh, walked in and, and before that tommy thompson too uh, you know this state has gone in in quite a different direction uh, and it sped up tremendously under walker and then there are the underlying problems that affect this whole country like racism uh, like economic inequality, like deindustrialization, uh, those have hit us real hard. And then there's the problem of a democracy that really is in name only when you see uh, some of the problems we have with money in politics, for one thing, with gerrymandering for another. And Wisconsin is one of the worst gerrymandered states in the country. Uh, and the problems with the Electoral College, the problems with the composition of the Senate, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's odd even to call us a democracy at this point, but we need to defend the elements of democracy we still have. Otherwise, we're going to lose those and we can't do that. And then we need to expand on our democracy. And and 
and I don't lose hope. You know, I'm kind of a student of Howard Zinn, the great author of A People's History of the United States, uh, who used to write for us at the Progressive in the last 12 years of his life. And he always taught that you never know when progressive social change is going to erupt. It was kind of a, a volcanic theory of, of progressive social change. But um, but you need to prepare for it. And the more you work for it, the more likely it is to happen. And if we don't work for it, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, these I- issues are starting to boil under 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 the skin if you will and once they pop well they're, yeah. yeah they're starting to boil and then once you know we've seen in social movements through american history and throughout world history once you hit one of those tipping points things shift very quickly so we need to, to you know stay with it and stay with the fight and these issues absolutely are boiling and you can see that even with people that we don't ideologically align with that they feel some of these pressures that we do and that I think that they're, you know, we're coming to a tipping point where American society is going to have to greatly restructure just to fit the needs of the people living here and the demands of the people living here, um, because the corporate class can only hold us um, all like as a mass. They can only hold us in check for so long, you know. Yeah, uh, but the amazing thing is just how they're able to do it time and time again, isn't it? It's just. Uh, it's just horrifying. But, uh, you know, if people start losing their Social Security and their Medicare elderly people uh, and this uh, assault on women's reproductive rights, I mean, the combination of those two things with living standards going down for working people. Uh, and Mandela Barnes has talked about wages and unions more than most uh, folks. If they really destroy our public schools, uh, you know, I think there'll be enough people just to say, look, uh, let, let let's give uh, folks on the left a chance here. We've given folks on the right a far uh, far too much of a chance already. But we've got to get through, you know, these next couple of years. Uh, you know, if Trump runs again, and God forbid, if Trump wins again, uh, you know, kind of all bets are off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, will will do you have any other questions? Well, I just I I think it's yeah. um really interesting to to compare the uh like like you just said matt that if stuff starts getting bad enough people start to say hey we've given the right enough of a chance let's try giving the left a chance something that really kind of worries me in that regard is uh with text banking in particular i've been hearing this a lot the past couple weeks is there are a lot of people who have been saying i'm a lifelong democrat but i'm sick of what the left has been doing at the national level so i'm voting republican this time because they equate people like joe biden to the left as that's what you know fox news tells them to think and stuff a lot of americans don't recognize that the left kind of you know the democrats in particular pride themselves on a big tent approach right there are people like aoc and joe manchin in the same party that would not happen anywhere else in in the world and so i'm kind of scared that they believe the left already had their opportunity and that has led to 40 year high inflations conveniently ignoring 50 year high record profits and a lot of the other uh, systemic issues that we're really seeing come come to a head right now i i agree though that sometimes all it takes is that spark and you never know when the what's going to cause that spark and once everything ignites organizations like ours and people like us have to be ready because th- there is a movement growing people are angry and Somebody has to do something about it, or like you said, democracy in the United States could be over within the next decade. Yeah, and I and I look to leadership from folks like AOC. You know, she said uh, in the Democratic 
primary when Biden won the election shortly before he won that primary contest that, you know, she wouldn't even be in the same party with Joe Biden if if she was in a European country. And and so you're absolutely right that uh, the media like to, especially on the right side, like to uh, limit uh, or define the left as being, you know, kind of DLC centrist Democrats, Bill Clinton, Joe Biden, when, uh, you know, the left is Bernie Sanders and AOC, Democratic Socialists. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump were the two most popular candidates six years ago, because they weren't like politicians as usual. People are sick of politics as usual. They're sick as sick of politicians as usual. AOC is not a politician as usual, and she doesn't really care. Uh, I read an interview with her, you know, everyone around her, all the people in the Congress, they're looking for their next race, how they can, you know, climb the political ladder. And she she doesn't even care if she's there anymore. She just wants to stand up for what she believes in uh, for as long as that's going to get her uh, elected or she'll go do something else. So she's not uh, a regular politician and she's very effective communicating on social media and on regular media and in speeches and in small groups. So I see her really as a, as a standard bearer. Yeah, well, um, Matt, I really appreciate you joining us today uh, to talk. I want to be respectful of your time. But before we go, um, could you tell people where they can learn more about you, learn more about your work in the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign? Um, where Where can people learn more? Sure. Well, I'm not that interesting, but people can learn more about the work <laughs> of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign by going to our website, wisdc.org. That's W-I-S for Wisconsin, D.C. for Democracy Campaign, wisdc.org. And we've got a lot of interesting postings right there on the homepage. Well, we really appreciate you coming on because, you know, regardless of of what groups people are working with, like Will said, we really need to be ready um when the opportunity falls into our laps hopefully soon uh to to kind of radically change what american democracy looks like groups like ours need to be ready um so matt we really appreciate you coming on and and discussing uh all of this 2022 and and money stuff that can be just so complicated um we really appreciate you coming on well it's been a pleasure great questions love the conversation good luck with all your work and thank Thanks, you everybody Thanks for, for coming. And thank you everybody for listening to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. We'll see you all next week. People struggling, people dying. Every day's another headline. Well, People cheating, people lying, leaving everybody else behind. We can wait for somebody else to come along. We can get on our feet and shout it. Right now is the moment we've been waiting for. Right now, never been.